Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 21st episode of the Psychology of Lockdown series. Today, we are talking about the seventh rule of dysfunction, uh, written out as, as written out by uh, psychotherapist John Bradshaw. This is the incompletion rule. I'm actually going to take the time, I think, before we get started. I'm joined today by, uh, once again, by Genevieve Schuf, who is a local activist here in Mendocino and also has a master's degree in psychology. So we're going we're gonna to dive deep here into the incompletion rule and then talk about um, how uh, it has come to fruition in terms of the lockdowns and what's going on in our community. And Genevieve definitely has some stories to tell. She was just involved in a maskless shopping spree last weekend uh, that caused uh, quite a ruckus here locally. And so we're dealing with a lot of this kind of psychological uh, blowback, if you will. And I think uh, we can put a lot of it in terms of this incompletion rule. So let me read it for everybody. One, uh, don't complete transactions. Keep the same fights and disagreements going for years. This rule may be manifested in two ways. One is through chronic fighting and conflict without any real solution. That sounds pretty familiar. Uh, the second is through enmeshment and confluence, agreeing to never disagree. That, I think, to me, kind of links back to the no-talk rule. Uh, the family has either conflict or confluence, but never contact. Members stay upset and confused all the time. So welcome back to the show, Genevieve. And I think Thank upset you. and confused uh, kind of describes what you've been going through this last week since uh, the maskless shopping spree and the reaction from the community has been so crazy. Yeah, there's essentially a mob with pitchforks ready to attack us for creating the coronavirus right? and all of the lockdowns and all of the restrictions. Well, what's your, uh, what's your take on the idea of the incompletion rule and how things never, uh, never really come together when you're in this kind of a dysfunctional situation? It actually reminds me too, I talk a lot on my podcast, The Shift, about the left-right paradigm, but certainly, you know, those are the really pro-lockdown, really pro-mask, and those who are questioning the official narrative um, are engaging in this same kind of conflict where it just goes around and around and around and around and there doesn't seem to be any way out. Well, you know, these ideas of dysfunction are based around the idea of keeping the dysfunction. And if any of these laws were broken, then things would crash and you might have to build them in a more healthy way. Right. So leaving things unclear and incomplete, keep this going. And if anything was made complete, then it would have to crash. Just like any of the studies or any of the mythology that we've talked about, or you and George talked about, were if they took that all the way through, that masks work, do they work or not? let's look at studies. Okay. Let's make a final decision mm -hmm. on yes, they do, or they don't, then the whole thing would crash or the idea of asymptomatic spread, which now they're saying that if you have immunity, you don't, but that is what this whole thing is based on. So if we were to complete that idea or complete the study, then it would all crash down. So it makes me think of of that incompletion and how, you know, nothing's really settled. You know, when he's talking, oop, I just said, you know, <laughs> when he's talking about 
incompletion, it's keeping this fight mm-hmm. and keeping that tension, which, you know, you could say then the tension or the fight of fight and flight of being in the stress mode or the incompletion. He also talks about this is an incomplete ego and these dysfunctions help us to feel complete. So there's several different ways that I can view this, but basically keeping the fight going and never getting a resolution or agreeing to never talk about it, which maybe that's how a lot of families have gotten through this. We just don't talk about that, which is not complete and unsafe. To me, that's unsafe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting concept to me that when you're involved in this dysfunctional relationship, and I think that that's what we're dealing with in terms of essentially, I see so many people who are codependent on the government and the government's narrative. I mean, that's what I'm seeing is that it's basically this conflict between those who accept what Dr. Fauci says, essentially, without question, and those who are asking questions and and being curious about uh, potentially other options for dealing with, uh, you know, the, this pandemic issue uh, rather than just doing what we're told. And so it, to me, that's very codependent on those that are just paying attention. We were talking before the show a little bit about, uh, one of the local people on a, on a Facebook page that is, uh, hosting, you know, the coronavirus conversation for our community. And she basically said, yeah, I'm going to censor anyone that disagrees with Dr. Fauci. And it's like, how, how can you do that? And then, so we've got this situation that's dysfunctional. What is it about dysfunction that keeps people stuck? Where they 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 want they want to engage in these uh, these dysfunctional ways, and they're not looking. They're so scared to see the the system crash. I think they're so frightened of change, even though it would be remarkably positive. Well, in Bradshaw's book, he talks about codependency coming about from the dysfunction of your own family and how you then teach your own children that because you're trying to survive the dysfunction, you come up with a self that's not you. So then you're dependent on the dysfunction to feel a sense of control or to relieve some of the anxiety And you're not your true self because you're having to fulfill this role in order to keep it all going. And if you were to let it go or to, if it was to crash, then you have to face all the anxiety that you've avoided. And so it's safer. And you, I mean, you would just destroy your ego And I think of these people who are saying awful things and have their pitchforks ready to annihilate us. And I don't think they're ever going to realize, I mean, I do think this is going to end, but I don't think they're ever really going to realize what they've done because they just, they couldn't handle it. Their egos can't handle it. I mean, would they would they die? Would they kill themselves? Would they go into depression? Would they have to turn to substances? I just, I don't think they could ever 
fully face it. And when you've lived your whole life, that's why it's so easily transferred to your own children is it's too heavy a weight to bear. What they say, and they're not, they're not in themselves either because they're having to play this role that's not them. And so they're never really at one with their feelings. They're never really in their own. They're never safe to be themselves and have their own feelings. And that keeps them codependent, dependent on being this false self and relying on these rules of dysfunction to exist at all. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost, um, especially just hearing your stories about uh, people's reactions when you, you know, you go with a group to, to protest and, and shop maskless. It reminds me of that movie, The Matrix, uh, and how anyone can turn into an Agent Smith, anyone who's in The Matrix. And it's like this concept of getting psychologically triggered because you walk into the store without a mask and then all the mask wearers they like instantly get triggered into this space where they feel extraordinarily threatened by someone that's not following the authority, which I think you're right. I think they're projecting their ego onto this in this way. They don't have to think for themselves. They can right. just be, they can just sort of uh, exist through the authority. And then and then when they get triggered, they become the authority and they'll actually do everything that they can to protect that uh, authoritarian perspective. I, and this is where it gets kind of so, so crazy and kind of so scary um, where we see this group mentality and almost how quickly it become can become uh, mob-like um, and actually quite dangerous. And it's not everybody when you say it like that, when we meet the masked shoppers, because there's a chunk of them that say, I don't want to be wearing this either. Right. And then one of the people who afterwards made this public post and updated it of how threatened and how they've experienced real discrimination and how dare us at the time they were not aggressive. And this was somebody that I motioned and know her name and said, hey, you, her name, that that till is open. They're not checking us out and was like, oh, OK, OK. And then in the parking lot, maybe they were blocking her spot and then made this post and was getting a whole lot of sympathy. Like, I'm so sorry you had to deal with this. And that's when she got more aggressive but in the moment she wasn't mm -hmm. and didn't even react and it was like oh okay you know they almost didn't even see or she did seem like she didn't really notice that we weren't wearing masks we were a line of people and she was like do oh is this the line and then there's a chunk of people who do get confrontational either one of the co-op members was like why are you doing this i know to me i know you love the co-op why are you doing this and then some that get mad so it, it's almost after to get attention and she was the one who 
posted publicly about how awful it was and that she had dealt with real discrimination was getting a lot of attention. But in the moment was not focused on that. So yeah, I don't know if that was attention seeking uh-huh. or just she didn't even seem stressed about our masks or lack of them. And then, you know, the co-op employee was sad about it. And I was like, well, why are you doing this? And she said, oh, oh I'll pay you $5, $5. Or she said, we have online shopping. And I said, it's $5 and you can't charge for accommodation. And she said, I'll give you $5. So in the moment, it's not even everybody masked. Mm-hmm. And there's the videos and somebody says, I don't want to wear this either. And our first shopping trip, somebody who was working there said, I don't want to wear this either, but I have to pay my bills. So it's the after attention seeking or making it dramatic. Sure. And they kind of have wanted to string it along that energy of drama because I did get another message about like from KZYX saying, well, would you want to talk about what it's like to be discriminated, especially like you, Genevieve Schuff? And, you know, no way. That's not the point. I'm not saying that this kind of discrimination is the same as anybody else's discrimination, but it doesn't mean that it's not. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what's I think what's interesting, though, is that because of the psychological dysfunction that's going on here, like how do we even open uh, lines of communication that can allow any kind of movement to happen here? Because people get so shut down as soon as you go against the mainstream narrative. And I think it does depend on, I mean, everybody's different. A certain percentage of the population is really going to go with the dominant narrative and um, not take, you know, do what the authority says without question. I think most people, you know, there's a there's really actually quite a spectrum, uh, and most people really don't, you know, care that much one way or the other. They're just right. kind of going with the flow, and so, but it's almost, you know, the the ones that are very adamant about it. Um, it's really well, challenging think, to get through to them and have a, have any kind of communication where you could find some common ground. And I don't think talking to a group and maybe even after this experience, a group talking is the way. And I was talking with somebody last night who says, I'm not going to talk to a group, but I will talk to an individual person about this and acknowledged that that's what I had been doing before I even realized that's what I was doing, where the person, you know, I don't know how much we're not saying names or what, Mm -hmm. but the person who published those untruths, I called him directly. As soon as I saw that saying that we had vandalized the store, I called like human to human. That's not actually what happened here's what I feel. And he wanted my name. And I was like, well, what are you going to write? I'll tell you my name if you let me read it first. And then he kind of started laughing and mocking me. Right. And then what he wrote was mocking and he called me a screwball. Or this person who posted my name today in relation to Mendo Health Freedom Fighters and 
was saying, let's call for a boycott on a public page, I sent her a message individually. And part of that is because I'm still banned on Facebook. So I can't comment, but I can send messages. Or when I heard the KZYX report by somebody who I know, I tried to call her, you know, three times. And I'm, they saw somewhere, but because I called a cell phone and the house phone and they didn't call me back. Or the other guy who shared the comment and said, free dumb. Right. And I was like, hey, you know, you're talking about me. And he kind of backtracked. I'm not talking about you, though that post was very clearly about me by an ex, you know? Yeah. So it's maybe that. And this incomplete rule says not talking or not, you know, disagreeing, agreeing to disagree. <laughs> what is it? I was saying mm-hmm. it wrong. Um, yeah. Agreeing to never disagree. Yeah. <laughs> to never disagreeing. So it's going one on one and disagreeing. And talking to a point of completion. Yeah. And somebody else that had, who's a family member, posted publicly, what? Now they've got medical disabilities, which is not what I said. And I've been debating, should I call her and say, hey, what's going on? Can we talk this out? Or at least, can you ask me the questions that you have? Like, what questions do you have right now? Or I thought of sharing the actual health order, which says anyone with a you know, medical or a mental health condition made worse by wearing a mask is exempt. Uh-huh. And then sending her the doctor's note that says, due to a medical condition... Genevieve is exempt, like sending her those two things, but I actually didn't even feel safe enough to do that, that that would get all twisted and like, look what she's claiming and we can take it. Why can't she? You know, that's an interesting point about not feeling safe in conversation because that's what it appears to me is actually starting to happen at this point. I mean, we've been going through this for, for the last year and a half. Many of us have been censored from the very beginning uh, on the community level, as well as on the national level, as well as even within our own families in certain instances. And it's just like, when are we, it's getting to a place where it's, it's feeling almost dangerous to speak out or speak up because, um, these people can't hear it. And what I, what I get over and over again, like you're talking about the guy says free dumb. It's just, constantly ad hominem attacks i was looking at a twitter feed today about rfk's book and everybody down the list was just talking about what a crazy person he was and not one person actually discussed you know a fact from the book that they could show was not true or unvalid and that's just the thing about these conversations at this point it's like you can't even get started with people to explain your point of view without instant ad hominem attacks and and then you know building into like this mob mentality where people uh are just you know flagrantly coming out and saying they need to silence uh these minority voices and so the irony is the very same people that oftentimes discuss having safe spaces to have conversations in right are the very people that are shaming and intimidating 
people into being quiet and not validating their their feelings and their perceptions. And that's how it feels after this event. And we were just to clarify maskless shopping and protesting outside. We're just trying to shop without a mask. And each one of us had our own reasons and whether religious or medical or whatever, but that turned into such a hornet's nest mm-hmm. when we didn't, maybe there was one person who called other people a hypocrite, but the majority, so 22 of us said nothing and we're kind and we're helping other customers find things. And this was a real hornet's nest where our faces are out there. Let's, let's attack them. I mean, it is, like I said, full on pitchfork mob. Mm-hmm. Let's stop these people because they're spreading COVID. And I don't want to not feel like I can say anything and do that again. Or, I mean, if this was us being peaceful and that's how it blew up. We didn't do all those things. If we had actually knocked stuff off the shelves and we talked about, well, can we get food and then go sit in the cafe and take off where everybody can and eat? Right. And I was like, well, you have to pay first. So it can even be hear- heard on our recording. Somebody says, well, can we just start eating? No, that would be stealing. There was a kid who had a bag of chips. Yeah. But if we all went in and ate and actually knocked stuff off the shelves and actually started calling them Nazis, and, you know, I'm pretty restrained in the moment. Sure. And, like, don't you see, don't you see, not just calling names and saying, that's so rude of you to turn around your back to me right now. Trying to get that human connection of this is me who you've known since I was a toddler. I've been going into that store. Right. Well, and I almost think that's part of the confusion because it's like, um, you know, it reminds me of, of, uh, the propaganda say for world war one, when they would, they have to demonize the other in order to justify, you know, essentially mass murdering another, another group of people in terms of, a world war, but even, even this kind of passive aggressive borderline aggressive behavior that you're dealing with. I mean, it's phenomenal to me to think that you can literally go into that store. If you're wearing a mask, pay for it, and then walk over to the other corner of the store and take your mask off and sit down and eat the food. And nobody, everyone, that's totally normal. But if you take the mask off while you're paying for it or before you sit down, then suddenly, you know, you're a crazy Nazi. I mean, one of the things that really um, stuck out at me, you know, is uh, some people are calling you racist. Mm -hmm. I mean, because they're, they're having to demonize the other, like I'm saying, and the fact that you don't fit the mold and none of us fit that mold, actually. I mean, that's what I think is that's almost the most uncomfortable thing for these people. And I, I basically actually probably engage in this one. (laughs) I mean, I just have to, the incompletion rule, because I don't know how to complete. um, I mean, I just have had have realized that I can't be my authentic self really when I go out in public in our community, because 
the amount of prejudice against my perspective is so profound. And so I just don't talk. I mean, I don't talk about politics with most of my friends. And if I do, I have to be willing to, you know, to know that that friendship is going to be over. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like there's a pretty good chance that I won't be talking to this person again. Uh, if I really let them know how I feel and it's profoundly dysfunctional and I don't see how to get over it. I mean, it's like you were describing like these people, I think will never be able to, I mean, to awaken to understanding the, the amount of, you know, hatred and anger and the violence that they're willing to incite as a result of having been essentially, programmed into demonizing the other uh they would have to feel a lot of shame i mean maybe that's where we can go with this actually is that because i think all of i've been thinking about this in terms of this show lately you know all of these rules of dysfunction are about this shame-based relationship um and i think that's where this is you know this is really all coming to a head people are actually they would they would have to uh be able to observe that healthy shame and then integrate that uh, darker side of themselves if they were going to heal from their codependent relationship with the government, you know? And so having to, having to bear witness to their own shame on that level, I mean, it may never happen. It's It's going to be denied. I mean, we could say it's all projection, right? Because they're Mm. saying that we're passive aggressive. That was another thing that I read. Right. So that's a way I try and calm myself about it. Like you're saying that about yourself and how sad it is that you can't see it. And it's not just demonize, it's dehumanize. Yeah. And that's why that first trip when they clapped was so disturbing to me. And I think that I've been, I've, I speak, I've just, I've always been like that. I've always been, and I'm tall and it's like, okay, well, if you're going to stand tall, you better stand for something. Yeah. And since I was a kid, I would talk about stuff that was uncomfortable. And now I've kind of set that as, as my precedent that I'm going to speak. So I didn't really fit all of those that they, I was a racist a lot last summer, apparently. Right. (laughs) And a lot. And at the time there were several, and you can't say, oh, but I've got black friends, you know, but at the time I was, and I'm not even going to list all the ways in which I wasn't, but if your definition of racist is me, then there's something wrong with your definition. And can't we just say that? Yeah. Is that enough? I think that's just it. They have to create this dehumanizing stereotype in their minds. And then when they're confronted with an actual individual that they know that doesn't fit with the stereotype, that's like instantly a triggering event. I mean, they can't comprehend how uh, someone who has concerns about the government being able to dictate what people wear, um, especially in the face of you know, a very, very limited scientific evidence that they're even effective. And they certainly, if they haven't worked in the last two years, maybe people ought to start questioning that they're working or, I mean, and again, just going back to the fact that you, you go to the other, after you buy your food, you go to the other side of the store, take your mask off and eat. I mean, it's just 
Like it, it doesn't make sense, their perspective at all. And they want it, but they still need, and they need to dehumanize people that disagree with them. But then when they're confronted with someone that they know that doesn't fit that stereotype, it's too much. It's too confusing. And they, I said the first visit, they weren't looking at me, at me in the eye, but it doesn't make any sense if they're actually afraid of germs that they kept us in the store two, three times as long. Right. And I was there like maybe 15 minutes and then I had to go and I just sort of was like, really? You're, this is so rude. And what are you laughing at? And you back there, what do you think that mask is actually doing? And then I walked out and other people, I, I guess the whole thing. So one of the claims was that they were, we were there over an hour and then the police confirmed it was 20 minutes that they got there and like 17 minutes until it was closed. Yeah. But that would have been in and out in 10 minutes. So they instead have a line of 20 or so people without masks and they're engaging us in conversation, which the risk is when you talk or sing, right? Sure. Like maybe that can be the next protest as we go in a place and sing. Oh, yeah. A song of freedom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And once in Rayleigh's, I had somebody confront me. It was a year ago. And she took my photo, actually, and then went and showed the manager. But in her conf confrontation, she kept touching her mask and was like, I work at public health. You need to leave now. And, and I was like, well, quit quit talking to me you're actually increasing the risk because you're engaging me in conversation i wasn't talking to anybody so quit talking to me leave me alone but and i'm like you're increasing the risk stop right. talking to me and i'll stop <laughs> answering i think the best thing for any store owner to do in the situation would be to just help people and let them go on their way and then everything will just yeah. be go back to normal i mean it, it just um but maybe it really doesn't make sense to make make the wills and if they are doing that then they're participating they're they're uh letting us win and yeah. that's what the co-op manager said is that we didn't steal anything so that was debunked because they didn't want to you know engage with us they didn't want to do business with us but then they kept us in there that yeah. much longer so well the incompletion too could be all of these things that have been debunked now. I mean, I guess we could say in that particular story too, that we weren't there over an hour. We didn't steal anything. We didn't damage anything. No uh, invasion. Nobody was hollering. Maybe one person called people hypocrites when they got closer or hugged others, but nobody was doing all of the awful racist yeah know. sure i but mean and that's the just the thing how do we get over the incompletion rule i mean how do you heal from this when well, maybe it's they won't engage individual person yeah but somebody had said before to me that you have to play the game because twice i've been to the school board meetings and they've kicked me out so and i didn't plan on talking so I wasn't as hurt about having to leave, but they were like, you have to play the game by wearing the mask to be heard. However, I just right. refused. Like I 
not only do I have this proof of you don't have to make me, but I just, I just can't, you know, I'll never go to that place if that's what it comes down to. Like, you'll have to tie me down to get anything over my mouth and nose. Even, you know, another idea was getting mesh ones. And I'm like, I just can't. The only way is if I had a really, and I have one, a really big hat and then a scarf over the whole There you hat. go. <laughs> <laughs> now check out, check me out. That'll keep the COVID away. <laughs> yeah, that'll help the COVID. But all of the incompletion, you know, going broader is that all of these things that have been proven and said by every mainstream that masks, maybe it is more symbolic and it's showing that you care about others or that there is such a thing as asymptomatic spread, which now they've shown that there's not. And now even more, a new recent study that if you have immunity from a prior infection, there's no evidence that you spread anything to PCR tests, you know, to all of those things that we've talked about before aren't true and have been shown to not be true, yet people are still keeping it unresolved. Yeah, I mean, that it just it brings it all back to this. You know, it's not about the science. There was just another uh, study out of Bangladesh, a randomized controlled study about mask efficacy. And they, uh oh, you know, actually these masks don't work. And so that's the greatest irony of all. And it it really goes back to exactly uh, what this whole series has been about this shame based system where the government is like the overbearing passive aggressive or aggressive father figure uh, that's, um, you know, ordering members of the family around and threatening them with violence. And, and, you know, the, in the family system, it's kind of funny. We could even go down probably in birth order and, and discuss the reactions, you know, but many of the children just learn to do what they're told so they don't get in trouble. And then maybe there's the one rebellious child, you know, it's like, wait a minute, you know, why does this, why does this overbearing father pretend like he knows what's best for everyone when he really clearly doesn't? And they come up with these excuses. Well, it's for your safety. I have to do this for your safety. You know, I I have to beat you for your safety. I have to, uh, yeah. Right. I have to make, and Bradshaw says, that he was the rebel. And he also mentions that the worst of them is when the authority abuser says, this is hard on me too. This hurts me to have to hurt you. Right. And that is kind of what the governments are saying. Like it's hurt our economy, but we have to do it for you. Or it's hurt. They even said initially, that the lockdowns were going to kill more people. So even though the lockdowns are going to kill more people, we don't, we're doing it for you. This hurts me to beat you child. Right. And that that's like the most twisted amount of shame. Then you're never allowed to feel you're never allowed to feel. So you have to take up some other role to keep, this thing going and it's not just ego it's this whole 
collapse of everything. It's not like just one little thing is going to come back to them. It's the whole thing is going to collapse. Yeah. And then who will they be? I keep thinking about what what it could be like. I mean, so many of the problems that we face as a society are caused by, you know, one group trying to force the other group to into doing what they think is best. And it's just like, why can't people just do what they think is best for themselves and leave other people to be? I mean, it you know, it's if you feel like a mask is protecting you, then wear a mask. If you feel like staying home would protect you, then stay home. And, you know, maybe most people would agree to do this. And then, the, I mean. Well, they're it, saying is, that to us. Right. If you can't wear a mask for just five minutes, then you should just stay home and have right. your groceries delivered to you. <laughs> and I don't think masks are harmful. Just, I mean, I don't think they don't work only i think they're actually harmful sure and harmful because you're breathing in carbon dioxide harmful because of the bacteria and the moisture but harmful to humanity and that was maybe my biggest right well the psychological ramifications especially on the on the children and the toddlers the the kids who are learning how to speak research i've seen two now saying that kids are less intelligent. It was one, it was babies that were like 20% less intelligent. And on the new high wire, they were talking about another study that came out that was saying the same, that kids' social skills are reduced by this much. And I think it was 22, 23%. But not only that, and that's how kids learn to communicate. That's how kids learn to read cues, emotional cues, it's pheromones, it's ability to smell what's safe, and then use that system, it's ability to feel safe. I mean, a traumatized kid looks, judges the face. Yeah. And then it's, it's just dehumanizing as we walk by each other. I don't know what to do. I, I mean, I, this this particular one has been frustrating for me to think about because, um, I mean, like I said, like I feel myself participating in this one and not wanting, I mean, this one and the no talk rule, especially the agreeing to never disagree. I mean, I think all of my friends know how I feel. We just literally never talk about it. Um and I don't know how to overcome it. It's frustrating. I mean, it's like I'm it's like watching a train wreck. You can see the psychological dysfunction and you can yeah. bear witness to the the cycle of violence, the shame-based cycle of violence just continuing, you know, over the generations. And this this particular traumatic event uh, is gonna do more damage than um, I mean, you know, probably since the Great Depression or something like an event like World War II in terms of leading, leaving a lasting uh, tra- traumatic impact on an entire generation of people. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how we can turn this around and, and start a well, healing process. Talking but more. Talking more. Yeah, let's but do it. individually, one-on-one. Right. And maybe right. even conversation, like the people that I've wondered, should I call them? And the people I've already called three times, I think I'm going to call them again even though now I'm slightly concerned that my words are going to get twisted and printed. Sure. 
I think that's a really good point. I think we've got to, because it's so easy for things like this to turn into a mob mentality that we have to learn how to take people individually one at a time and take the opportunity to say, hey, can we have a dialogue? You know, not just listening to Dr. Fauci and doing what he says, but, you know, the two of us as compassionate human beings having a conversation about what's best for our families and our communities. I I think that's got to be the way forward. Genevieve, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, Do you have anything you want to say in conclusion and let people know uh, the website here? I know uh, if there's anybody listening here in Mendocino County, they might be interested. Um, Yeah, MendocinoPatriots.org. And then join the newsletter or send an email. Now we're having a lot of hate mail actual death threats yeah or you could send me a private message on on messenger on facebook or uh i guess i'm afraid to give my phone number Talk yeah, to well, we me could... directly or show up we have a town hall on january 9th and that will be listed on the patriots website and show up and talk to us directly I guess I wanted to say one more thing related to the topic that you and George started this with mass formation and how mm-hmm. people can get hypnotized. And Matthias Desmet, um, probably betraying his name, Belgian, he said the only way to get people less hypnotized is to talk. And we have to keep talking. And it doesn't take people out, but they don't get as deeply hypnotized. And when they're deeply hypnotized, that's when atrocities happen. Yeah. And we have to keep talking in a real positive way. So when we protest or rally or just have a conversation, even though I want to get as angry as I feel or as frustrated, we can't, we have to be more angelic and ask questions. So the only way to get out of this is to keep, keep, talking and be understanding and sympathetic i guess all right and hope hope that people can begin to hear right (laughs) well i mean that sounds good i'm glad i'm glad we actually were able to kind of find find a, a solution here which is you know get out of the mob mentality take people one at a time don't let yourself get triggered uh, as an activist, stay calm and just have a dialogue one-on-one with each individual and, and take it one day at a time and hope that you can kind of like just, you know, make that that question mark, that light bulb go off just a little bit in yeah. somebody's mind that says maybe just listening to the authority isn't the best thing to do. Maybe we should think critically and have respect for others who have differences of opinion. So, And we can't not get triggered because we will get triggered, right. but we have to never waste the good trigger and look at what that shows us about ourselves, maybe process what we just learned about ourselves and then call that person. Right. <laughs> not let the triggering react in the moment, <laughs> but not also hide it. Never waste a good trigger is a, a forest yogiism. Sounds so good. So that's valuable. Yeah. Very good. Okay. okay. Thanks a lot, Genevieve. I'll let people know that next week is uh, the unreliability rule. That will be the eighth and final rule of dysfunction. And I think maybe I'll have you on maybe for one more after that, if you want to, (laughs) to do like a, just an overview of the whole concept so we can close off the series, but thanks a lot for coming on and and helping me wrap this up. 
Uh, and I'm glad we were able to end it on, on some positive notes. Like how do we turn yeah. this into a healing process when sometimes it seems so overwhelming? So very good. Thanks Thank again. You for having me. Yeah, you bet. We'll talk again next week. Okay. All right. Take care.